So we are back in Mark. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're actually taking a step back um, to just before the triumphal entry. So we're looking at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to start reading at verse 46. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the back. Feel free to help yourself. Take them home. Um, We want everybody to have access to the Word of God. So Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark writes, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he was recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is this is a an important healing that Jesus is doing here uh, for a number of different reasons. There's a there's a couple of of ways that Mark highlights this particular healing out of all of the different miracles that Jesus had done. First of all, this is the very last act of healing before the crucifixion. Uh, there's still much more that's going to happen between now and and that part of, of the account. Um, but in the rest of the time, Jesus focuses His attention, or at least Mark focuses His attention on the things that Jesus was teaching rather than His acts of power. Uh, so this is the very last. It's unique because... As the very last um, account of Jesus' healing, it, it bookends the very first one. In, in all of the time between the very first one where Jesus was in the synagogue and there was a demon-possessed man who, who stood up and, and started yelling at him and said, well, what do you have to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, Jesus the Nazarene? He says, if you come to destroy us, and Jesus cast him out, and people were astonished at his authority to be able to have control over demons. Here we have this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, who when he hears that it is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, begins to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Nowhere else from that to this has anybody referred to Jesus as the Nazarene. So they are unique. Mark is trying to help us bookend and see 
the progression that there has been in the in the ministry, the, the, the power of Jesus as he has been connecting with different people and seeing how people, different people respond. And I think he's highlighting this one at the very end, at the, at the end of Jesus' ministry, because out of all of the responses, I think blind Bartimaeus shows us the way of faith. The way of saving faith. It's also unique because in all of those miraculous healings that Jesus has done, that Mark has recorded for us, nobody else has been named who has received the power of Jesus, the grace and mercy of God to be healed or to be set free. Only Bartimaeus. It could be a number of different reasons. I think his name is significant. Uh, Bartimaeus is actually an, an Aramaic name, and and Mark does give us kind of a translation. Uh, Bar means son of, son of Timaeus. When you look at Timaeus, what that means in Aramaic, it means the unclean. So this is son of the unclean. A significant name that 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 uh, Mark is using here for us to be able to connect. I think in some ways, we are all sons and daughters of the unclean. And in a way, blind Bartimaeus is every man. He is, he is as the son of the unclean, represents all of us as the opportunity that we have to come to Jesus for mercy and for grace. And he shows us how we come with that faith that saves. And then also, uh, this is the very first time that anybody has referred to Jesus with this messianic title, Son of David. In fact, in Mark's Gospel, the only other times that it really kind of gets hinted at is in the next account of the triumphal entry um, where where the people are crying out, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Um, and then there's also, uh, later on, there is a reference um, to uh, in, in Jesus' teaching that he is the son of David. Uh, but this is the only place, this messianic title that had been uh, seen as a messianic title throughout the intertestamental period. If we were to look at Matthew, there's a number of places where that title is used for Jesus, son of David, and it's aligning him with this with this awareness in the, the Jewish life that, that the son of David would be the Messiah. And that was a title in, in some of the writings and stuff that we see in between Malachi and the New Testament uh, that, that refers to the Messiah as the son of David. So, so again, here is a unique understanding uh, of all of the, the people that are in this crowd of all of the people who have their sight, blind Bartimaeus is the one who actually sees Jesus for who He is and identifies Him as the Son of David, the Messiah, the One that has come to rescue the world. We see here that that Bartimaeus' faith is a persistent faith. He doesn't give up. There... There is 
opposition to him as he cries out for mercy from God. There are others that say, oh, be quiet. You're, you're bothering him. Likely many people were saying that, perhaps knowing who he was, knowing his name as the son of the unclean. Jesus would want anything to do with you, the son of the unclean. <laughs> but, but Bartimaeus didn't let that stop him. He just called out all the more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. It was a persistent faith that wouldn't give up, that recognized his absolute need for a touch from the Savior. And recognizing that there was nothing that he could do that would bring him to that place of being healed for himself, that he needed God to intervene on his behalf. And so he wasn't letting anything get in the way to stop him, to discourage him from calling out and receiving that touch from Jesus. And what is Jesus' response? This is really quite beautiful. As he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped. In the Greek, it's actually Jesus stood still. I think King James records it as that as well. That's what it says. Jesus stood still. When Jesus heard this persistent cry for mercy, He stood to receive His Son. It's kind of interesting. I One of the commentators that I that I read about, uh, that I read from, uh, linked this to Stephen's time of, uh, of trial. Remember the story? He was one of the deacons. He was brought before. He had been brought before the Sanhedrin because he had been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world and they were trying to stop him. And he gives this rousing testimony, this, this historical account of the people of Israel pointing to how, how God throughout the history of His people had been promising that this Messiah would come. And then He identifies that that Messiah was Jesus Christ whom you have killed. And the people, the, the, the leaders that were there were, were adamant, were plugging their ears and trying to stop Him and trying to, uh, to accuse Him in any way. And there in that moment, Stephen looks up into heaven and heaven opens and he sees the Father with the Son standing beside Him on His right hand. Standing to receive His faithful servant home. <laughs> and here, Jesus, hearing the cry of the Son of the unclean, as He cries for mercy, Jesus stands still to receive Him to Himself. What a wonderful picture of a Savior who loves us who, who is for us, who, who, who is desiring that all would be saved and persistently follows hard after us until we finally have that faith, that trust in what He is doing in His salvation to receive His message from us. And so the people say, take heart! He's calling you! And what does Bartimaeus do? He throws off his cloak. Why would he do that? Not exactly sure. I think maybe it, it was uh, 
to get rid of anything that would get in his way of tripping him up on his way to go and see Jesus. He wasn't going to let anything hinder him. It made me think of Paul's letter where he talks about how in running the race, he cast off anything that would hinder him from finishing that race. Bartimaeus, in response to the, to the call of Jesus, throws off anything that would get in his way so that he can come and receive that touch from Jesus. That's the kind of response that we need. That, that we wouldn't let anything hinder us, wouldn't let anything trip us up as we come in faith to receive the touch, the saving touch of Jesus Christ. It's actually kind of interesting because in the next story, the next account that uh, Marcus had done for us a couple of weeks ago, again, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, what did everybody do with their cloaks? They threw them onto the donkeys so that Jesus could sit on them. They, they laid them out in front of the, the, the donkey as Jesus was progressing into Jerusalem. Bartimaeus was a trendsetter. <laughs> He was the one who was showing the right way to, to cast those things off. And, and, and I, I almost imagine that that's everybody as they saw that, what Bartimaeus had done, their response was to do the same thing as they saw Jesus coming into Jerusalem. To cast off all of those things to be able to put them in front of Jesus so they wouldn't get in the way and instead be able to come face to face with Him. Then Jesus asks Bartimaeus this question. What do you want me to do for you? You, you remember, it, that's the exact same question that Jesus asked James and John just a few verses early in verse 35 where they came uh, to Jesus and, and, and asked Him, Teacher, we want you to do for whatever we ask of you. Verse 36, and He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Exact same question from Jesus, but I got a very different response from Bartimaeus. Where James and John were all wrapped up in their position, in their, in their acclamation as, as, uh, as an important person in the kingdom of God. Bartimaeus was very clear what he wanted from Jesus. There wasn't any of those accolades. He wasn't interested in any kind of position for himself, except he knew he needed to see. He needed Jesus to touch him to bring that healing. And what is his response? Rabbi is the common way of translating this. It's actually different. There are two. There's a, a, a Hebrew form that is used in, in, uh, um, in the New Testament for rabbi that is actually a Greek transliteration of rabbi. There is also the Aramaic form, rabboni. And that's what, what, what Bartimaeus is using here, is rabboni, not rabbi, although both of them can be translated teacher. It's also significant to, to look at the writings that, again, happened between uh, the, the time of uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament that there were many, as, as they were recording their prayers in Aramaic, they would call out to God, Rabboni, Master, Lord. The very same word that, that in, in John's Gospel, that when Mary Magdalene suddenly realizes that it's the risen Jesus that is standing before her, she goes, 
Rabboni, Master. Again, here we have the son of the unclean coming to the son of David and recognizing that he is Lord, that he is Master. And a crowd of people who see very clearly it's only this blind man who is seeing Jesus for who he truly is. And Jesus responds, Go. Your faith has healed you. We talked about this a number of months ago now, but this word healed in Greek, the root being sozo, can be translated two different ways. It can be healed, but often it also means saved. And in the context, I can understand why the, why the uh, translators would say healed because that's what he's asking for. But in essence, what Jesus is saying to Bart- Bartimaeus is, you are saved. Your faith has saved you. It's the exact same word that, that we have here um, when... Uh, when Jesus is giving the, the instructions, when, when the rich young ruler had come to Jesus and, had, and Jesus had said, sell everything you have and follow me. And the, the young man walked away and the, the disciple, Jesus said, it, 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 it is so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples asked, then who can be sozo? Who can be Saved, who can be healed? The exact same word being used here. So in this context, I think it's probably more right for Jesus to have been saying, your faith has saved you. Because of all of the things that Bartimaeus needed, yes, his sight was important, But really what he needed was a new heart. A transformation from the inside out. And his faith rescued him. Set him free. And immediately, (laughs) there's that word again. We've been talking about immediately right from the get-go here in Matthew. Straight away. We've been talking about how that is uh, the, the, the proclamation of John the Baptist to, to make straight in the desert the paths. And how uh, that word immediately is the same word for straight away, straight way. It's the, the same, same uh, root word. And so straight way, Jesus making His way straight. Jesus laying out the path forward for those who, who are called by His name. And straight away, He recovered His sight. And what? Followed. Followed on the way. That's what convinced me that, that for Bartimaeus, He had been saved. In that Jesus said, go your way. And He said, I'm going your way. He followed in the way. That became... The, 
the, the, uh, the description for anybody who became a follower of Jesus through the new church, that they were a follower of the way. And we have here Bartimaeus immediately recovering his sight and followed him on the way. That's what faith does. Last week we talked about the importance of grace. That it is through grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are saved. Through faith. What, what is faith? I think sometimes we... With, with some of the, the ways that, that Scripture talks about faith and some of the, the colloquialisms that we... My tongue didn't work right around that word, but anyway. Some of the ways that we talk about, that we use the word faith, in some ways it becomes almost synonymous for religion. That there are those who are of the Hindu faith and there are those that are of the Muslim or Christian faith. Faith is not just a, a religion. Uh, faith is about belief, yes, but it is belief in action. You know, the classic example of, I have faith that this chair will hold me up. I believe that it is strong enough to hold all of my weight. And there's a considerable amount of weight. But until I actually sit down on the chair, I am not exercising faith. I can believe all I want in that chair, that it has everything that I need, but until I actually sit down on it, I'm not exercising faith. All I'm doing is just having belief. But faith is belief in action. That you actually Trust yourself in the, in the saving work of Jesus Christ that His blood has indeed paid the penalty for your sin. So you can believe that, but if then you live your life still trying to earn your own way into heaven, you're not acting out in faith. You can, you can believe that Jesus did all that you need to to do in order for you to be saved, but if you then have a whole bunch of rules and regulations that you follow, that you have to be at church every Sunday, that you have to give a certain amount of money every Sunday, uh, that you have to be kind to other people, that you can't lie, and all the rest of that kind of stuff, if that's what you're putting your faith in, in your own actions, you're not exercising faith in Jesus' grace. Faith is Resting in His completed work. That Jesus has done everything that needs to be done in order to pay the penalty for your sin. And you trust in that. And all of the good works that you do, coming on Sunday, giving offerings, being kind, not lying, and all the rest of that kind of stuff, is a result of the fact that you have been saved. That you now act that way. Faith is following the way. Faith isn't easy. 
Because the way of Jesus was leading to the cross. It was leading on the path of suffering and rejection. And when we follow in the way, we experience those same things. We experience sorrow and grief. We experience suffering. We experience opposition and rejection from those that are around us. But when we are followers in the way, by faith, we, we, we trust that Jesus is going to carry us through. There is no other path other than the path of sacrifice. But it is a road of hope. That even in the midst of the sorrow, there is joy. That even as we face that opposition and rejection, there is peace. That even though we may lose everything, we are filled with the fullness of God's love in our lives. Are you? Are you at that place where you are as a son of the unclean? That you are ready to cry out to the Son of David, have mercy on me to be touched by Him and in faith follow in the way. As I said last week, it is, it is the easiest thing to do. To look to Him and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am unclean and I need Your mercy. I, I need Your grace to intervene in my life. And so I trust that Your sacrifice has paid that penalty. And I rest in Your completed work. Come and change my heart. Make me clean. Give me the strength to follow You. I believe and I walk by faith. If that's the cry of your heart this morning, let me encourage you. Pray out that prayer. Then come and talk with somebody. Whether it's me, whether it's somebody that you come with here today, uh, perhaps there's somebody that you know. Don't walk away from here without talking through what that means. Part of following in the way as we've seen here in Scripture is walking in faith into the waters of baptism. That that, that, that is a, a sign and a symbol of what is going on within your heart. And it is an act of obedience to then follow Christ into those waters of baptism to show that you have with Him died to your old self and that have been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. We want to see you get baptized and plant that flag deeply in the ground to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are those here today that you are calling, that you are drawing to yourself. There are those today that, that have maybe been in church for many, many years. 
but have never come to that place of actually trusting, putting by faith their soul in your hands, trusting in your sacrifice to pay that penalty. Lord, would You be moving in their hearts today and drawing them into that place of, of, of surrender and submission to Your will, of receiving that gift that You are offering them and making it their own by faith. Would You give them the courage to tell somebody today, to guard them uh, from, uh, from keeping this quiet. But instead, Lord, would we be able to, as a family, celebrate together with them of what You have done in their hearts. Pray for Your Spirit to be working in their life now and bringing them to that place of surrender and receiving from You. Lord, for some of us, we have, we have made that commitment, but it is over the years, our, our persistence in our faith has begun to wane. Our trust and faith in You has, has be given way to, uh, to trying to, to live out our faith and, and to, to live out our righteousness in our own strength rather than in You. Lord, I pray that, that today, that in their hearts, that they would make that commitment, that they are determined uh, to rest in Your completed work, uh, to, to, to live in the, the perfect touch of Your hand, so that they may trust their salvation in You alone. There may be those here this morning who have again given their lives to You, but they have stopped following Your way. The attraction of the world has drawn them away that has, has enticed them into, into other things. Maybe it's the, the sin that, that, that they've had in their own life that, that makes them feel like they're no longer worthy of that salvation. Lord, would You in their hearts Give them that healing touch, that saving touch to let them know that You are still standing there the right hand of the Father to receive them to Yourself. That Your love has never stopped. And that Your righteousness, Your salvation is infinitely adequate to pay the penalty for whatever sin, whatever missteps that they have made. Jesus, as we walk from this place, would we all walk out of this building as followers of the way, recognizing that we carry that message of hope, that message of sight, that message of salvation, to a world that needs to hear. Would we be agents of that message in this world? We carry that wherever we go, that we would have it quick on our lips to share with others. That we would be, be looking for ways that we could share Your love and Your hope with the people that we meet day to day. So that we can come back here with joy seeing that You have rescued even more and saved even more. Put our lives in Your hands here this morning.
put our lives in the hands of a risen Savior that is alive today, that is transforming our hearts, that is leading and guiding us through life. That is the, is the Christ that we serve. That is the Lord that we follow. That is the Savior that we trust. Thank you. Amen.